Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number 19 of the Tax Security Podcast, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco technical assistance security teams. Today, we're doing an episode on troubleshooting NAC. That's Network Admission Control, and um, that product is a, an interesting one, and we've brought in Nevin Absher from the AAA team here in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, to uh uh, talk about this product and uh, give us his insider tips and techniques for troubleshooting problems with the NAC appliance. So, uh, Nevin, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the invite. All right, we got Magnus Mortensen as well. Hello, everybody. And Blaine Dreyer from Richardson, Texas. How's it going, Blaine? I'm doing fine. How are you, Jay? Doing pretty good. Okay, well, let's get started. Um, so, Nevin, tell us about um, what the NAC appliance does, you know, what, what is the motivation for um, this NAC product that Cisco makes? So NAC appliance is really a, a product that was put out um, in response to a lot of the worm outbreaks and uh, virus outbreaks that occurred uh, years back that really hampered a lot of corporate networks and university networks and, and caused mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Um, so it, it was a way for businesses or universities to make sure that the machines that were coming onto their network um, were following the security policies that they had set forth uh, for their, their users or students. I remember, um, what was it, Code Red or Nimda or one of those? Were you guys were you guys around when that happened? And like, I mean, the TAC was just going crazy with calls from customers that were seeing high CPU on their routers and all kinds of just network mess caused by those scanning worms. Yeah, and uh, I, I started here shortly after that, so I didn't get the chance to experience the fun of uh, one of those outbreak-style days. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, so this, this tell us how this product um, aims to help mitigate that problem. So one of the things that it does is it really uh, provides you a way to um, set up policies for your users that says, you know, they have to have the latest antivirus uh, version or definitions, make sure they're up to date on their Windows patches and things like that, um, all set by your, your security administrator and what your security policy says. So you can make sure that before you let them on your network, um, you, you make sure that they have everything that you've, you've uh, set forth in your policies. Okay, so in, in this case, the product's actually communicating with, I guess, an agent on the computer, or this is, I guess, one of the first times in this podcast we've talked about um, client software besides the AnyConnect platform, which I guess does, you know, some of this sort of uh, checking. Um, But so how does it, how is this product actually talking to the computer to determine whether it's at that patch level or antivirus? So really we have three different parts that make up the NAC appliance. Um, You have your, your CAM or Clean Access Manager, the CAS, your clean access server, and then your uh, agent software that goes on the end machine. Um, <clears throat> but with the three different boxes, your CAM uh, kind of controls what uh, policies you have, which you're allowed to access uh, before you go through your posture assessment. Um, it, it holds, manages all your different CASs that you can have because you can have many different CASs in many different uh, places in your network. Um, the CAS itself does the actual enforcement, so it blocks traffic. Um, it keeps you from getting to the things that you're not supposed to get to until you've gone through the posture assessment. Uh, and then the the agent software does the actual checking of the machine to verify that you have the latest antivirus definition, your, your Windows updates are, are up to date, things like that. So those three kind of work together to form the whole NAC appliance solution. From like an overview perspective, I guess, the, the CAM pushes the policy to the CAS, 
and then the agent interacts with the CAS. Does, yeah. it, does it talk back to that and say like, "Hey, I'm okay. You know, here's what I've got, or here's the credentials." Or correct. Yeah, the agent talks to the CAS. It, it it does all the communication between those two, and then the CAS relays that information to the the manager itself. Hmm. So when I first joined the security teams, um, we had just started supporting the product, and I only I've only taken maybe one or two cases on it. Um, but talk about how. Um, like a typ- typical deployment scenario for say like a university or something like how where you know where do they put these devices and how does it stop um, student plugging in some PC you know infected with a virus how what is it going to do to stop that sure so there's there's a couple different deployment methods um, the two main different scenarios that you have are in band and out of band so in band the traffic from the client always passes through the CAS. So all of your your user traffic pass through the CAS all the time. It really causes an issue um, if you have a lot of throughput and a lot of users. You you have the limit, you know, your wire speed. So you can only pass through so much traffic before you run out. Uh, that's why they also have the out of band deployment, which uh, we use SNMP to our switches to change the VLAN. So you start out in a VLAN that goes through the CAS, and we we enforce and block your traffic. And then once you authenticate and posture assess and we we verify that you're following the policies that we set you can move you to a different vlan that goes around the cas so your traffic is then unencumbered by the cas um, so there's different different ways that it can be put into the network um, we work with vpn deployments with wireless deployments you know wired in in uh, core networks things like that yeah, I guess that would be a big issue, you know, when you have a lot of campuses that have these sort of free Wi-Fi or companies that have this free Wi-Fi. All it takes is some guy, you know, wandering up with, you know, laptop and you just suddenly now you got a virus right in the middle of your network. He hops right on your wireless. So I guess, yeah, that's probably one of the, the most important to protect spaces, right? Exactly. And it, it, it makes sure that, you know, even for guest networks that you set some form of policy before they're allowed on that, hey, you at least have to have a free antivirus installed and it yeah. be up to date before we're even going to let you on the network. So do most most uh, companies use an in-band where all the traffic passes through the CAS or do they do mostly out-of-band deployments? Most of what we see is out-of-band just because it, it, it doesn't set that limitation of how much traffic and there's mm-hmm. not the single point of failure, whereas if the CAS dies, you know, there's no traffic, no way to pass the traffic through. Um, with out-of-band, you can, you can fail open so that the the users automatically get put in the, the allowed VLAN or in the blocked VLAN, depending on security policy uh, for that. Okay. So with the with the in-band deployment, uh, I'm a user, right? And I walk up to a port and I plug into it. I can imagine that the, the CAS intercepts all of my traffic and then redirects me to an authentication page. Is that how that works? That's correct. So if you, okay. don't, if you don't have an agent, you know, the first thing we do is, is it intercepts you and provide you with a login page. Okay, so now let's take that same concept and try to apply it to out-of-band deployment. I mean, if, if it's out-of-band, how's it going to intercept all of my traffic inline and forward me to an authentication page? Sure, so when you first plug in, um, we can set up either port link up traps with SNMP or, S- or uh, NUMAC notification traps. So when you plug in, we'll get a notification from the switch to uh, the manager that says, hey, I've learned a new MAC address on this port. And we look up and say, has that user been authenticated already and postured? No, he hasn't. So we send an SNMP trap that says, move him to the, the, the auth- what we call the authentication VLAN, which does force you through the CAS. So you're, you're basically put in, la- in band uh, while you do the authentication and go through your posture assessment. I see. So th- it sounds like to me that that's going to require a working relationship between the CAS and the, the switches. So do we have particular switches that are supported? 
Yeah, there's a list um, that we post on the on CCO that that gives you a list of all the, the switches and what code versions are, are needed um, to allow the SNMP to work properly. It's it's not all of our switches, but it's a large number of the the current switches. Okay, cool. So Nevin, we were talking before the show about also um, just how how many different ways you can actually set this up. So talk about in-band deployments um, and you know layer two deployments versus layer three mode. Sure. So it, with layer two, you your VLAN is trunked directly to the CAS, so it needs to be in a way where the the client and the CAS are on the same VLAN. You can do multiple VLANs, so you can have a lot of different VLANs that all come through the CAS. But the whole point is that there's a layer two uh, join between the the agent and the the CAS. And and I guess the we should make it clear the CAS is a physical appliance, right, Correct. that's sitting in your rack. Okay. Yeah, and gotcha. it has two interfaces, so you have an untrusted side and a trusted side, as okay. I refer to it. So for, for the L2 deployments, you trunk that VLAN to your untrusted side, the client sitting in the same VLAN, so all of that is layer two. There's no layer inter three interface for him to route around. Um, with a layer three deployment, you have to do something to force the traffic to go to the CAS. Um, so for in-band deployments, you, you either use PBR or mm -hmm. VRF, or some sort of mechanism to force that traffic to not fo follow your normal routing table, but to go through to the CAS's untrusted interface. Okay, and I guess, I don't know, when you say layer two deployments, it makes me think maybe some complications there, are some things to be aware of around like spanning tree and those sorts of, so we're, do we, we'll talk about that later, but do we see those types of issues in the TAC? For sure, I mean, there's a lot of things that you have to consider that uh, most of it we, we list out in the documentation, but um, what we normally, for any deployment, even though some of them aren't uh, applicable, we tell people don't plug in the untrusted interface until you've done all of your configuration, mm. basic configuration, because you can create an L2 loop that will um, drive your CPU of your, switch up to 100% and sure. cause you some headaches. And I guess that's something that you're going to have to consider with any product that bridges at Layer 2. So. Sure, definitely. Um, okay, and how about the out-of-band deployments? So for out-of-band, there's pretty much you have the same L2 and L3 um, with the regard to the, the VLAN creation and, and trunking to the, the CAS the same way. Uh, the, I guess the next step without a band is you create a second VLAN that the port can move to that does does have an L3 interface that does not go through the CAS. So you have that, that other path once you've, you've posture assessed. So Nevin, with being in band and the fact that, you know, all my traffic flows through the CAS and it's doing security inspection and then allowing me through or not, um, that sounds a lot like doing authentication via auth proxy on the FWSM and the ASA. Yep. So how is using NAC uh, any different than just using downloadable ACLs from an ACS server onto the ASA? Sure, and, and, and it is very similar um, in the fact that we, you know, intercept your traffic, we prompt you to log in and make you put in a username password to verify that you're allowed to go through. Uh, NAC just takes it one step further and says, okay, we've, we know that you've authenticated, so we've, we've got that information that who you are and what you're doing here, but we're going to apply one more layer to that and saying, okay, you're allowed on based on your username and password, but now we're going to check the machine to make sure we allow the machine on. So it's not just the user that's authenticating. We're also verifying that the machine has the, the proper software and the proper updates before we allow it onto the network. Auth proxy, we only get the, the username password authentication base. So what happens if you've got a PC that fails some check? I mean, what, um, you know, with auth proxy, you just get 
you know, access denied permission, you know, password not correct. But what happens, what does um, NAC do extra if somebody fails the, uh, the checks? So one of the things that we do allow with, with clean access that, that is, is pretty nice is what we call self-remediation. So the, the user is allowed to fix whatever problem we present them on their own. So if, if they're not up to date on their antivirus uh, definitions, we allow them to go out to the internet to McAfee or where, whatever antivirus vendor they have um, and get the latest update from them so that they don't have to call the help desk or go find another way to get to the internet to get that update before we allow them on the network. We allow them to go and get it themselves. So you mentioned uh, antivirus as one of the posture checks. Uh, what are some other types of things that you can do with this, you know, to sort of check out what they're done, what they're running, or what kind of things they have installed? Sure. So I mean, besides antivirus, the other pre-built one that we we kind of have is the uh, WSOS Microsoft check. So we can mm-hmm. verify what patches, uh, any service packs, things like that that they've installed, and make sure they have the critical updates before we allow them on. Um, but beyond that, we can do a lot of custom checks. So we can say, um, do you have this file? Does this file exist on your machine? Is it past this certain date? Um, is there a registry entry that we can verify? So a lot of companies are, we use that as an identifier um, of a corporate asset, as if they have a certain file or a certain registry entry that we can, we can key off of to make sure that it exists. And you mentioned there WSUS, which is obviously you know, Windows-based. Sure. Uh, and judging by the shiny metal exteriors of the laptops sitting here at the table with us, you know, uh, a lot of us here run Mac, you know, and OS X, and a few Linux folks in the building. But are there solutions for those as well? Are there ways you can interact with those kind of uh, endpoints? For the Macs, we do have uh, an agent that does check for antivirus only. Um, mm-hmm. There's no way to check for file system or there's no registry, of course, with Macs. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's limited, but it does check for antivirus That's good. software. Macs but, don't get viruses, though, do they, Magnus? Uh, none that uh, – uh, why is my screen blue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other, I mean, for Linux um, and some, you know, mobile devices, things like that, we only do the authentication piece. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, we can't do uh, uh, posture assessment on all of them, but we do have uh, authentication for all and acceptable use policy, things like that. Mobile, that's interesting. Mobile, I mean, because, uh, yeah, as more and more people are bringing their mobile devices into the workplace and also on campus or whatever, you know, that's a whole other, I guess, attack vector that we've got to watch for. Yeah, and there's a lot of folks out there that... that don't mind you being on the network as long as it's not on a mobile device. So, mm. you know, there's we, we have ways with login pages and things that we can um, restrict what devices are allowed on the network. We can require the agent, which only works for Windows and Mac. So yeah. that basically eliminates everything else. So uh, it's, it fits a lot of, it's, it's very customizable, so it fits a lot of different security policies in a lot of different environments. So when we start talking about mobile, it kind of brings, well, okay, so I'm getting my iPad 2 next week, right? Congratulations. And, yeah. uh, thank you very much. And, um, well, that's what that's what the Apple site says. I don't know if I'm actually getting it. But anyway, <laughs> so um, it kind of makes me think, you know, on, on universities, which is where this, this product is deployed a lot, right? I can imagine a lot of kids having iPads. And, um, I mean, have you had any experience in working with iPads and being able to authenticate through this system? Yeah, sure. We, um, we have... Support for iPads and iPhones with the mobile web interface for the login. Um, that's pretty customizable. But once again, you know, once all we can check for is authentication. So if the if the university or the the business is okay with mobile devices, we can verify that you are a, a valid user. Um, but we don't do any postures checks, so we'll just allow you on once you authenticate. 
So a lot of what we talked about so far has been, you know, uh, just basic information about NAC. And uh, we want to make this the focus of this episode about troubleshooting and the issues that, uh, Nevin, you've seen working in the TAC on this product. But before we do that, tell, tell our listeners where they can go to just learn more fundamental basics about the NAC product. So one of the things that we have posted uh, on CCO, and, and we'll include the, the link in the show notes, is the uh, Chalk Talk series that uh, the business unit that created this product put out, um, I guess, a couple years ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good series that goes through and explains the product, basic configuration, how you should deploy it in your network. Uh, it's got a lot of the good information that, uh, while it's in the docs, is much easier to glean out of the the. Uh, Chalk Talk series than it is out of reading a thousand pages of, of documentation. So, okay, and I guess um, that leads us into, you know, common issues and troubleshooting of the product. And, um, you know, you're you're stressing that Chalk Talk series because I guess um, tell us about some of the most prevalent issues you face when customers call up into the TAC. I think one of the biggest ones that we get uh, on a regular basis is just the the fundamental fundamental design and deployment of NAC into their environment. Um, it's not something that's uh, cookie cutter and, you know, uh, to equate it to an ASA, you're, you're very limited in the different ways you can pl- deploy it an ASA, you know, your transparent mode, routed mode, multi-contact. So you, you've got a limited number that's pretty tweakable, but is manageable. Sure. Uh, with clean access, you know, I mentioned the in-band and out-of-band, and I mentioned layer two and layer three. Um, to, to take it even one step more complex is you also have a virtual gateway and real IP, which uh, if you're not familiar with it, virtual gateway does basically a, a layer two VLAN bridging. So it, it will bridge one layer two VLAN to a layer three VLAN, similar to the way our IPSs do. Um, the Real IP mode is more of a routed mode, so your untrusted and trusted have different IPs, and we route traffic between those two. Um, so when you start looking at, you got in-band real IP, layer two, in-band real IP, layer three, out-of-band real IP, layer two, out-of-band layer three. So as you can see, it, it grows exponentially with the, the different combinations of, of deployment methods for the CAS. So when you start looking at how does this fit into my network, you have to find a place that you put it in the network um, that will prevent those users from getting to resources they shouldn't get to until we go through the uh, posture assessment piece, but at the same time, not to make a bottleneck in your network. Okay. So a lot of times, you know, things like VPN is pretty easy because you have to go in-band with VPN. You cannot do out-of-band with VPN because we can't change VLANs. <laughs> so those are pretty pretty simple. You find the place where your, your VPN traffic comes ingress and you stick a cache right there and then you get to decide, okay, layer two or layer three, you know, how am I going to do it? And there's a lot of considerations that you have to make um, when you're doing it. Uh, for a corporate campus, it's it gets much more complex much more quickly because you've got a lot of different points. Um, if you have a layer three collapse core versus if you do distribution layer, you have to take all of that in consideration and make sure that where you're putting it, you're catching all of your users, but allowing the traffic through that needs to. And I guess we don't want to scare people off against, you know, you know, thinking about deploying NAC. Um, but I guess the key takeaway from this is just to understand your network well, obviously, like with any networking sure. product, before you just dump it in and, and, and try to make it work, um, you know, because... You know, for the most part, our customers are very happy with the product, right? I mean, it, it works very well. Um, but um, so, walk us through maybe a 
a problem deployment that you faced in the TAC or a customer situation where this was the issue and, and you had to do some customer education? Um, well, I think one of the most common ones that we see a lot is uh, when people create VLANs on their switches. A lot of times what they'll do is interface VLAN 127. Uh, which creates a VLAN. That's how they create the VLAN. That's how they create the okay. VLAN. But it also creates an SVI for that VLAN. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the common things we run into is is people get their setup all done, clean access already. Uh, they plug a client into the untrusted VLAN, and then we start seeing weird behavior. We won't get DHCP addresses, or we'll get a DHCP address, but then we can't talk to anything. Uh, things like that. And what it tracks back to is having an SVI created for that untrusted VLAN um, actually causes the switch to punt to the route processor instead of switching it layer two like we would expect it to do. Uh, this is mainly with our with our uh, virtual gateway mode where we bridge VLANs because when you create an SVI on a switch, as Magnus has instructed me, um, you get the same MAC address for all of your SVIs. Yeah. So when you start ARPing out for that, you're going to get the, the you're going to have a layer two MAC address in your local VLAN for that even if the SVI is shut down and does not have an IP address on it. Yeah, for some reason it ends up putting that MAC address in that VLAN's cam table pointing to router. We see that a lot with uh, FWSM deployments for that exact same reason. Let's create a VLAN by creating an SVI in the process. And then, you know, as soon as that packet ingresses on the switch and it looks at its cam table, you know, as opposed to seeing back out towards the CAS, it sees local router for that next top MAC, which is, you know, the SVI and whoop, goes the uh, wrong path and you end up with uh, outages sometimes yep. so it's that the switch you know it wasn't the deployment wasn't intended to have any layer 3 switch interface on that vlan but administrators create one anyway you know because they're just not aware yep. and then that that's the so cause of the issue basically when you want to create a vlan on a switch the command is vlan and then the vlan number doesn't create an svi just creates the vlan in the database no problem with that. Yep. Adds it to the forwarding table. Everybody's happy. Yep. And that's the way you have to think about it with, with a lot of these is if you're doing a layer two to your CAS, you want a strictly layer two VLAN because you don't want that traffic to be able to go anywhere else except through the CAS. Do you find so. that uh, network administrators, once they you know implement the NAC solution, find that if they have trouble, it's because there's some link they didn't even know they had or... Um, in the switching path, you know, some Bob plugged in a hub over here or something and that may be causing problems. Yeah, we've run into that before and it's it's very fun to track down and usually what we recommend to people, there's there's a couple different um, things you can do on the CAS itself that will help you track down a lot of these issues like that. Um, one of the things we can do is, or I guess I should explain, our, our clean access server uh, runs a click router Underneath, it's a software that decides what packets are allowed, what packets are dropped, how we forward traffic, where it goes, things like that. Um, even though we do run uh, CentOS Linux uh, on the box, it's if you are familiar with Linux, the first thing you're going to do is jump on the box and, and do a netstat-rn to look at your routing table. You're going to do an arp-a to see your arp entries, and you're going to see some really strange stuff on the CAS, and it's not <laughs> going to make any sense to you whatsoever. And the reason for that is we run the click router um, to handle all that traffic. So um, for people that are familiar with Linux, you can drop in CD into a, a slash proc, P-R-O-C, slash click, C-L-I-C-K, folder and there's a number of folders under there uh, each folder represents something uh, I'll give you the the 
what I'll call the, the most used or the, the, the most helpful ones. Um, of course, there's one that's very, very obvious called real underscore routing underscore table. You might want to guess, Magnus. <laughs> uh, would that be access lists? No, uh. no, routing table. So um, once you're in that folder, you can just more or cat the table file. There's a file called table, so it's basically more space table or cat space table. Um, and it'll show you the output of the routing table. And it takes a little bit to interpret it. Um, I think we have a write-up that we'll post that, that kind of gives you a breakdown of what the routing table looks like and what the different numbers mean because it's going to show you uh, the, the IP, the, the mask, any default or gateway that it has, and then what interface it's out of, which is the important thing. So you can make sure that your routing is set up correctly. Um, also in the click uh, folder, there is an intern underscore ARP queue and an extern underscore ARP queue. And that is your ARP tables for your inside interface and your outside interface or your trusted and untrusted interface. Um, it's a little, what I think is backwards, I guess. The extern ARP queue is your trusted side. The intern ARP queue is your untrusted side. But in there, there's also a table file. And if you moor the table, you'll see um, any MAC addresses, IPs and MACs that we've learned along with if they're VLAN tagged and if so, what VLAN we're learning them on. Hmm. So it's very, very helpful when you're trying to track down an issue. Is if we're not talking to this device, why are we not? And you look at that and say, oh, well, look, we're learning it on this VLAN instead of this VLAN. Okay, that might be help with the problem. So is this the this um, file system, is that the first place you would go for troubleshooting? I mean, if an administrator is having some sort of issue, maybe a client's not connecting or they think they have some network topology problem, what, what's the troubleshooting flow basically for um, narrowing down that issue? Is it going right to this file system or is there other stuff they can check? There's other logs that we can look at. It, it, it kind of depends on what, what the problem is. I mean, a, a common one that we see is, hey, I, I plugged into a port, um, my agent's running on my machine, but it's not popping up, prompting me, or I'm, I'm opening up my browser and it's not redirecting me to the login page. I've mm -hmm. got an IP address. What's the problem? Um, that's usually we fall back to, uh, I like to call it uh, the Dave White method of, of troubleshooting, which is follow <laughs> the path of the packet. Yeah. The packet starts here and it has to get here. Where does, where, you know, what hops is it going to hit in the way? You know, make sure that everything is, is in line and that you, you track down where it's going to go and how it's going to get there. Um, that's usually our best bet. But the logs, uh, the event logs, if you're logging in and having a problem, there's logs on the cam itself to kind of cover all that. But if it's a, a networking issue where you're trying to figure out why is it not talking to this device or things like that, yeah, definitely you go into the proc click is going to be your, your your best friend once you start troubleshooting that. And that sounds like, you know, almost a service internal or some higher level access to the system it, is do you have to do anything special to get access to that or is it just you log right into the CAS to get there yeah it's, you can log in as root um, we allow root access on the boxes uh, which can be scary but uh, if you know what you're doing it's 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 very very helpful um, the you set the root password when you install the box so the customer knows the root password there's no special password or anything mm -hmm. they can jump right in and, and look at it um, and we get some customers that are very comfortable in Linux and will do a lot of stuff in it and others that don't want to touch it and that's when they they call us and we help them you know track down the problem so okay and are there for um, maybe listeners that have NAC deployed that want to go take a look around but you know don't know the commands um, that you spoke of is you said there's there is some a, a place they can go to see those or I think we have uh, something on the community support forums that that okay. kind of go over, over the basic commands for Linux and, and the basic things that we look at from a support perspective. Okay. So besides 
you know, these design and deployment issues, what are some other common problems that you get when uh, customers call in with, with trouble? Um, the next biggest one's probably certificates. Um, we rely heavily on certificates in the, in the clean access environment, so that we get a lot of uh, misunderstanding and problems with renewing and various other certificate-based issues. So I assume like the login pages and you know all that sort of authentication communication is all secured and yep we uh, we use the the cam and the CAS both will uh, have a certificate installed mm-hmm. usually usually from the same provider if possible um, they communicate to each other over SSL they also communicate the CAS to the agent over SSL so those certificates are used for that. Um, one step further is if you have high availability or failover mode, um, the two CASs or two CAMs will actually use that certificate to do IPsec communication between the two um, to secure the, the HA traffic between the two devices. Um, so as you can imagine, there's a lot of different areas where that can go wrong or so, badly. So what are some best practices as far as um, if, a custom, if somebody's thinking about deploying this, how can they, what are some main things they can do to avoid certificate problems in the future? Um, biggest thing is go with a known CA or an internal CA that you know all of your clients are going to trust. You know, for, for a corporation, usually they'll have an internal CA server, so you can utilize that if your, cust- if your users already trust it. Mm. Um, for a university-type environment, usually you want to go with a public CA because you're... Yeah, you don't know what CA devices are yeah. going to come. So you want to use a VeriSign or a GoDaddy or, or one of the well-known uh, CAs so that you don't have problems with that. Um, one that... More than likely, your your users are going to have the the CA the root trust the root certificate for before they uh, without having to push it out. Um, and the main thing is is getting all of your certs together ahead of time and getting them ready. Uh, if you're doing a f- initial deployment, it's it's very easy to to play around with it and get it working. It's uh, when you get to the point where your certificates are about to expire in a week and you have to get new ones and you have to change it out without losing downtime. <laughs> you want to plan that out a little bit more and and know what your what your plans are and, and how you're going to approach it. I guess that would be a pretty frantic tech case. If... We've got a few of those. Yeah. Okay. So the the key is, I guess, um, understanding when your certs are going to expire and renewing them before that happens. Yeah. yeah. And that we do have a, a, a GUI uh, interface red blinking message. I don't think it blinks anymore. I think we took it out. But a red message that comes up and says, hey, your certificates are either expired or will expire in the next 30 days. Um, Some of us wish it was a little bit longer than 30 days, but at least you have the the 30-day window to know that that's coming up. So we need to make sure we get our search in order and and we get it replaced before that window comes. Okay, so Nevin, I I understand that the the CAS and the client that's installed on the end host actually checks for the virus uh, software version that's running. And then it also checks for the signature update version that the virus software is running, right? Yep, that's correct. Okay, so let's say that I actually update my virus software. You know, I'm a new student. I come in with my laptop. I realize my virus software is old, and uh, Norton tells me, hey, go ahead and update this, and, and so I update it. I mean, how's the CAS going to know to check for that new version of software? Well, for minor versions, um, it'll be covered. Uh, we, we normally check within a, a, a minor range you know, if 4.x is out and we go from 4.1 to 4.2, um, those will normally be covered in it. It's usually we run into a problem when we go to a, a major version. So 5.x comes out of uh, product, you know, X or whatever. The 
there's sometimes a, a little bit of a lag while we determine, you know, a lot of times they'll change their files, they'll change their registry, they'll, they'll completely they rename the product or whatever. Uh, so there's a little bit of a lag time while we get that detection module updated uh, for the new versions. Um, the good thing is because the, the CAS is, is very flexible, you can create uh, custom checks that will um, cover you in that, that lag time where it's the new ver version's out, but we don't have official support for it in the product. Uh, so those custom checks can be built to detect uh, different things. Okay, so custom checks. So I, I'm, I'm a network administrator. I've got this new student that just came in. And they have super brand new, you know, antivirus software. And so I can't actually detect what version they're running, if they have the appropriate virus updates, et cetera. So, you know, they file a support case or whatever, and I look at it and I say, oh, this is a brand new antivirus version. So, so I can actually install that version on my local PC. I can look at what parameters or changes are made to the system, and then I can create this custom check that checks for those, you know, different parameters. Yeah, so, I mean, since we can check for file information, whether the file exists, what the date modified, things like that. Uh, also registry checks, you can go through uh, the new ins the new version of the software and say, okay, what's different about this than the older versions and find a registry entry that, that is unique to the new version or you know, a lot of times they'll put the version number in a, in a key in the registry so you can verify that key. Um, for the updates, it's a little bit trickier some virus definitions will write it to the registry. Some will update a file when you do an update. Um, unfortunately, it's a bit of trial and error to see if you can figure out what that antivirus is doing uh, to show that it's been updated. And then we use that to build the custom check so that as the, the device you know gets updated, it, when it goes to check it, we can verify that file version or the registry entry and say, yeah, they're, they're okay, allow them on. And I guess, do you guys see a, a lot of cases come in that, you know, are those kind of situations, like, help me write a custom signature or anything to that nature? We do. I mean, when AVG9 came out, AVG Free, when the new version of Microsoft's uh, free uh, antivirus came out, we usually get a, a, a lot of cases coming in uh, showing that it's, you know, saying that it's not supported yet. Um, and a lot of times it's us, you know, helping the customer determine what those custom checks are and, and then... Uh, getting it out to them so that they can uh, implement it in their network. So in kind of a similar community type fashion, you know, it sounds like these are, you know, pretty often the kind of cases you guys get. You get, you know, somebody wanting a custom signature or anything to that nature, or they may be flustered by how to write one of those. Is uh, is there some document online that gives them kind of a step-by-step? -step? Yeah, we have a document on the community support forums that kind of covers uh, an example of how you would find the version or find how to detect a new version of antivirus and then creating a custom check that checks for that antivirus. Um, so you can go and look at that as an example uh, of how to, how to write a custom check. All right, Evan. Well, thanks a whole lot. That um, I don't know. I've learned a lot more about NAC, and I hope that you know our listeners have learned more about it. If they're running the NAC uh, solution now, hopefully they've got some more information. And um, I guess uh, wh where should people go to learn more about um, troubleshooting the NAC appliance? Well, I think the Cisco support community is 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 a good place. There's a lot of uh, community folks that 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 provide information, and and a lot of our tech engineers monitor it also. Um, unfortunately, right now we're under the other security subjects, but we're working on getting uh, getting our own NAC section soon, so uh, keep an eye out for that. But um, we've got a lot of docs posted under the other security subjects in AAA that kind of cover uh, a lot of the 
clean access things, certificates, stuff like that, that a lot of people run into. So it's a very good resource for information and just for, for finding other people that may have run into issues that, you, that you're running into. Okay. We'll work on the show notes page for this episode and make sure that we've got lots of links there that you can follow up with to learn more about the troubleshooting the NAC appliance and getting um, more information about deployment scenarios and, and common issues that our customers hit. Well, thanks for listening. This has been episode number 19 of the Tax Security Podcast. You can find more episodes and uh, read the show notes for this page at www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. You can also find us on the Cisco support forums by going to supportforums.cisco.com and clicking on the AAA other subjects community. And that's where you'll see the show notes for this page. You can contact us by reaching out via email at securityshow at cisco.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd like to know uh, what you thought of this episode and past episodes and what episodes you want to hear us talk about uh, in the future. We've gotten some good feedback recently. Um, All right. Thanks for listening.